Yesterday, it was very, very interesting to hear about um, sexual health in the Netherlands, and at many of our faculty meetings, we've tried to have a little bit of an international theme. And I think this is our third session looking at um, uh, views and attitudes and use of contraception across the Atlantic. So we have prepared for what to be an excellent session today with two very well-known eminent speakers. Um, we're going to keep the lights up and the three of us, two people sitting, sitting there on the podium, um, just to encourage you, it's interactive. You can give me a wave at any time and we'll get the microphone to you so you can butt in and ask questions. Um, both speakers prepared enormous presentations which were absolutely fantastic, uh, but I took the chairman's privilege of cutting them drastically so that we can have... Uh, <laughs> we're both very upset. Um, <laughs> so we can have plenty of time uh, for questions um, as, we go, as we go along and then we'll stop. So uh, Lee's going to speak first and, and then Ali. So Lee's well known to the faculty and um, he's from the windy city of Chicago and he braved a hurricane to get here yesterday. He's had terrible jet lag um, but he's awake <laughs> for the moment so it's a little good. Um, and he tells me his hobbies are to play terrible golf and to catch up on his sleep in his hammock. And he describes himself, himself as a metrosexual. But his main role of faculty is he's on Antarevsky's editorial advisory um, uh, group for the journal. So, Lee, thank you very much for coming all this way, and we'd be delighted if you could kick off. Good afternoon. Uh, I want to apologize to most of you for bumping into you by walking on the wrong side of the hallway. Uh, <laughs> us Americans just don't get it right here. I don't know how, why more Americans don't die when they come to the UK. Uh, we always look the wrong way uh, when we're crossing the street. Um, what is amazing to me is that the pharmacokinetics of oral contraceptives is the exact same in Europe and the United Kingdom as it is in the United States. Metabolic processes are the same. You can make an argument there may be slight differences in pharmacogenomics. But despite the similarities of contraception in the two sides of the Atlantic, there couldn't be any greater differences in the outcomes. Uh, my, I guess my, my warning almost to all of you is from this lecture, learn what not to do uh, in your practices. Uh, we have not, not figured out how to best provide effective contraception to women. And I think what has been a promising but telling uh, bit of information, you probably all have been following the uh, publications from the Choice Project. Uh, Choice Project led by uh, Jeff Piper, uh, in St. Louis, in the middle of the United States, really almost directly in the navel of the United States, um, it was really demonstrated that taking away the economic barriers, which is one of the reasons why there are such profound differences in contraceptive outcomes in the UK and, and the United States, but taking away the economic barriers, uh, a large portion of women in the United States would likely choose a long-acting reversible contraceptive, despite the fact that most clinicians will do everything they can for whatever reason is to put them on an oral contraceptive or, worse yet, to encourage them to use far less effective methods of contraception. 
And it's why this slide, which again, I show so many times, and it never ceases to cause me embarrassment. Uh, we have developing world figures when it comes to unintended and unplanned pregnancies in the United States. Despite the wealth, despite the access to contraception, et cetera, uh, still close to 50% of the pregnancies are unintended or unplanned. Um, and I would say the one bit of information that doesn't come across in the United States is the profound risk of pregnancy. Not just unintended pregnancy, but pregnancy itself. Profound increase in morbidity and mortality, and then the further profound increase in morbidity and mortality when a woman who is not desirous of pregnancy becomes pregnant and perhaps lives in a part of the country where uh, access to safe abortion is not available, which gets further compounding uh, of the morbidity and mortality, let alone the social and societal issues of that unintended pregnancy. Uh, again, 28 million uh, women uh, in the United States, of the nearly 50 million sexually active women, are at risk for unintended pregnancy. And as you would well imagine, uh, the youngest uh, of those women are at the greatest risk. Now, you can turn this around and say that the highest rate of unintended pregnancy is in women over the age of 40, which is true. Uh, but they clearly have a far fewer number of pregnancies. And so it is truly those women under the age of 18 uh, who may have difficulty in accessing even minimalist uh, uh, family planning services uh, truly are at the highest risk uh, of becoming pregnant, obviously becoming pregnant when they do not want to be. And while their increase in morbidity and mortality may not be as profound as, say, a 20 or 30-year-old, and still is rather profound. We know what happens with unintended, unplanned pregnancies. I'm, I'm somewhat preaching to the choir here today, uh, but we know about uh, high rates of abortions. Uh, what we tend not to look at is the other aspects of what happens with unintended, unplanned pregnancy. Physical abuse and violence uh, is markedly increased in households and amongst women who are experiencing unintended, unplanned pregnancy. Uh, clearly a greater exposure to psychological, physical, and sexual abuse during the woman's childhood leads to higher rates of unintended and unplanned pregnancy. Um, clearly, contraceptive use is the key. And that is the message that really resonates well here, and for whatever reason really doesn't resonate well in the United States. Over and over, people like myself and numerous others talk and cajole and try to get people to understand the seminal role of contraception and the more effective the contraception the more effective in, in, in health benefits uh, that that contraception accrues and yet this very simple slide just falls on deaf ears amongst clinicians as well as women uh, as equals as well we know the health benefits of, of contraception preventing pregnancies reducing morbidity and mortality, uh, preventing pregnancies that are underspaced in women who, uh, who are either too young or too old. Uh, and not that women are necessarily too young or too old to become pregnant, but are too young or too old to have a planned and desired pregnancy. Uh, as well as those women uh, that is somewhat decreasing in, in the inner city and in the rural areas of the United States but with very high parity. And that being said, I was on call. I still do uh, one to two nights of uh, obstetrical call 
uh, every month. And um, I get called for a delivery in a woman who is a gravid 12, para 11. And she finally had made a decision uh, to have her tubes tied. Um, but this was the, her 12th child. Uh, clearly, we, again, find across the board reductions in morbidity and mortality, not just maternal, but also infant morbidity and mortality. Societal impact of unintended unplanned pregnancy. Meetings like this <coughs> truly get out this information that is really not well appreciated by uh, our colleagues or the general public at large. When the United Nations comes out and talks about family planning as a critical aspect of societal health, not medical health, but societal health, talking about limited resources and how curbing family growth is important to ensure that those resources uh, are available for all to use. Uh, we talk about the cheapest way to curb carbon dioxide is contraception reducing the growth of our population on this planet. Uh, and the overall cost of unintended pregnancy. Clearly, unintended pregnancy costs far more than an intended pregnancy. Uh, and it's not just the healthcare costs of that woman seeing a, a clinician, uh, but the other costs, the, the, again, the increased risk of complications and a variety of other issues. It clearly, whether it's cost, whether it's, it's societal health, whether it's personal health, contraception makes uh, a very important, um, uh, has an important role uh, in improving our communities at large. Why do unintended pregnancies occur? Now this is where I take a different part of, I, I di you know, diverge from you, uh, because in the United States, unintended pregnancies occur for very different reasons that occur than they occur in the United Kingdom, and Ali will, will go over that. Uh, access for us is an incredibly important issue. When we talk about access in the United States, we're talking about cost. Uh, as you all know, I'm not going to give the UK side of this discussion, but uh, there is, while there is access to free contraception in public health clinics, uh, it is not a universal uh, right uh, of women to access those public health clinics. They have to prove that they can, in fact, access the, those public health clinics. Uh, and there is a very large segment that falls into what we call, and I don't know if you have this term here, the donut hole. What the donut hole is, is that you're making too much money to qualify for public aid, but not enough money to qualify for private insurance. And you fall into the donut hole. It is not a good place to be, as you can appreciate that, uh, despite the relatively benign sense of what a donut hole is. Um, and so what happens? Uh, well, if you need medicine for your diabetes, if you need medicine for your blood pressure, if you need medicine to treat a, medic, a, a, a medical problem, you're more likely going to spend your limited resources on what you know is a medical problem than preventing pregnancy. I'll just have them use a condom, or I'll just have them withdraw. Or, or you know what, I, you know, one or two times I'm not going to get pregnant. And it's that kind of idiocy that begets the high rate of unintended and unplanned pregnancy in the United States. We still have an appreciable percentage of women 
who when asked say they do not want to become pregnant, but they will not use a contraceptive method, even a condom. Now folks, I don't understand that. I just, I just don't understand that. I mean, this is the 21st century. We sort of understand how conception occurs. It's something that I, even we teach in our schools. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that sure about that, Ed. And yet, a, this is not 3% or 5%, but maybe as much as 20% of the population falls into that incredible classification. Does not want to become pregnant, will not use a contraceptive option, and is sexually active. So it's not even the abstinence discussion and are sexually active. The other big part, and you know all this literature, uh, mostly Michael Rosenberg did, did a lot of this work in the late 1990s, was the high rate of oral contraceptive discontinuation, the high rate of unintended pregnancy occurring in women who would use some sort of contraceptive method the month that they conceived. Um, and that's really the other big part. And again, um, most American women will rely on either the pill or sterilization. Now, clearly the ones in the middle use condoms, then there is, again, a somewhat increasing use of long-acting reversible contraceptives. But for the most part, it's sort of an all-or-nothing situation when it comes to contraception in the United States. I'm going to use a pill. Americans, for whatever reason, are pill takers. We like taking pills to treat a variety of, of things. I'll uh, offer a woman who's got a vaginal discharge and bacterial vaginosis, I'll offer them a local therapy, and she'll say, can I just take a pill? Don't you want to put the medicine where it hurts? Or, no, I'd rather take a pill. Okay, we can give you a pill. Um, so the pill and sterilization are, are, are one and two, and obviously the oral contraceptive outside of condom use is the most commonly used effective method of contraception. And again, we all know about uh, its effectiveness when used properly. Problem is most women don't use it properly. And, and I, again, bring up another uh, somewhat embarrassing situation. There have been several studies um, in the United States, a phase three studies of new contraceptive options. And there's been an seemingly increasing rate of failure. What, what, in fact, we were talking about this last night. When you take uh, contraceptive X and you study it in the United States and you study it in the UK or Europe, always, not sometimes, not most of the times, always, the Pearl Index, the Life Table pregnancy rate is always lower in Europe. Always. I don't know of a single method that's been tested on both sides of the Atlantic where the, the Pearl Index or the Life Table pregnancy rate was less than the United States. And so the question's been why? Well, we're fatter. Well, unfortunately, you all are catching up with us. Um, a little bit more Coca-Cola, a little bit more McDonald's and Colonel Sanders, and you'll be there right up there with us with our VMIs. Um, it turns out, which also gets back to that group of women who don't want to be pregnant and aren't going to use contraceptive, that you have women who accept the money and women get paid, men and women get paid in drug trials in the United States. Not, so much, not that much handsomely, but they do get paid. You have women who actually remove the pill from their blister pack and throw it away. And then write onto their diary, whether it's an electronic diary or a written diary, took my pill, 10, 14 a.m. 
to throw it away. How do you know they threw it away? We didn't go through their garbage. It's not a CIA thing. <laughs> we don't have the eye in the sky looking at that. We checked their hormone levels, their progestin levels, and there was zero. Zero. This is not some sort of, again, pharmacological, phar pharmacokinetic uh, uh, issue. Zero. There is no levonorgestrel, there's no drospirinone, there's no norgestamine, there's nothing. Zero. Because you didn't take your pill, you didn't apply your patch. <coughs> Yet you accepted the check and you said you had taken the pill, and for the exact same effort to put the pill in your mouth, you threw it in the garbage can. And again, women report a variety of reasons for their contraceptive non-use. Uh, again, uh, well, I don't really need the pill, I'm not having sex that often. Uh, don't care if pregnancy occurs. Again, that's the 20%. I I'm not gonna use because I, I don't care. They underest underestimate the pregnancy risk. Um, it it's just a wholesale failure of education. And, and again, why I say these are embarrassing for me, because they are. Because I've spent myself and, and my colleagues have spent most of our professional lives talking to mostly colleagues to get them to help educate their patients, and we have failed miserably. So inconsistent method use is very common. Almost four out of ten, almost two out of five women use their pill inconsistently. And again, the factors for this, the biggest factor, and this is again where we diverge is the fact that in most situations in the United States, a woman can only get a single pack of pill on a monthly basis. They have to return to the pharmacy every month to get to shake their heads. I know it's the most <laughs> ridiculous, stupid thing. We've had several studies, mostly out in California, in the Kaiser system, where they have shown that if you give women six packs or 12 packs of pills, that the unintended pregnancy rate plummets, and yet most insurance companies will only support a single pack of pills every month. And good luck if the month has 31 days. <laughs> good luck. You know, we don't have samples anymore. Are, are there sample, pill samples in, in the UK? We don't have them. We used to have samples because we used to uh, help our patients out by giving them you know, the free sample packs to use and when that time was. We don't have that anymore. Um, we hope that Obamacare, uh, as it is called, uh, the Affordable Care Act, as it is technically called, will help to change this because much of the preventative care, including contraception, will be covered. Um, and it's hoped that, that while all pills won't be covered in that way, very, again, similar to what you have in your system, that a good variety of pills and other methods will be available where access will no longer be an issue because it's clear that in the United States, access, not so much financial, but, but insurance-based access. And why they do this, I, I really don't know. Because again, you would think that an insurance company that is going to have to pay for the pregnancy, we want to do everything they can to prevent that pregnancy. You would think that an insurance company that is going to pay for a child with developmental disabilities or chromosome abnormalities would in fact encourage women to consider termination of pregnancy when an adverse diagnosis is made and yet it's the exact opposite. It's sort of living in a Lewis Carroll world 
but I'm not the one using the cocaine for whatever reason. Everybody else is uh, somewhat crazy around me. Um, and again, when we take a look at more effective, non-daily, non-oral methods, we are hit with upfront costs that frequently come out of the patient's pockets. It's not like here where the woman chooses to have an intrauterine contraceptive or a subdermal contraceptive or some longer acting reversible method, even an injectable method, that that's fine. That's covered within the healthcare system. Here, the patient is forced to pay sometimes hundreds of dollars, hold to get reimbursed from their insurance company, uh, clearly get the benefit of that method if they, they use it, but it is a real deterrent to many women. Um, and again, as you would imagine, socioeconomic status truly does uh, play a seminal role in determining uh, who shall do well and who shall not do well uh, in an almost Old Testament approach to how people do. Uh, the poorer you are in the United States, the less access you have. Uh, and as a result, the greater the disparity, disparity between proper use uh, as well as improper use. And it's again why we see more poor women with unintended, unplanned pregnancies than those who are more fortunate. Uh, we still deal with profound, unrealistic expectations and fears and myths, cancer uh, fears. Um, I run a large ovarian cancer early detection program at Northwestern. Uh, those women are well uh, educated about the benefits of oral contraceptives and the prevention of ovarian and endometrial and even colorectal cancer. Uh, but for those women who are not facing those particular swords of Damocles, uh, as those women are, um, what we find, is that me? No, that could have been me. Um, what we find uh, is that there is just a wholesale concern that oral contraceptives are very unsafe, whether it's thromboembolic disease, whether it's cancer risk, whether it's a variety of adverse outcomes. The reason for this is our press. You think you have the only irresponsible press in the world? Now just look across the ocean. Uh, birth control device killed my beloved. Uh, and if that doesn't get you, then the constant harangue uh, from uh, liability attorneys uh, who are constantly on the lookout for patients who have had an adverse outcome. Uh, you may have gotten hit by a bus crossing the street to get your oral contraceptive prescription filled, they want to know about it because they're going to sue Bayer or Merck or Teva or GSK for making you cross the street to get you. <laughs> we can help. We can help make people not understand the benefits of contraception. That's what they help do. Um, inconsistent use clearly is associated with poor satisfaction. Uh, again, that's, that's not an epiphany. Uh, and again, enough poor satisfaction, and invariably, in the United States, women who quit an effective method of contraception are more likely to use a less effective or no method than an equally effective method of contraception. So you didn't do well on the pill, you're going to go and start using a condom. You're not happy with the patch or the ring or the implant, you're going to have it taken out, and you know what, I just want to rest. I'll have them withdraw. If you give women the choice in the United States, they are more likely to find a method that they're going to use consistently and correctly as opposed to the clear, overt, subliminal counseling that draws women into using pills, even if they're not a good daily pill taker. 
And I think, as we all know, being a good daily pill taker has absolutely nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with a variety of other things. So uh, thank you for allowing me the 20 minutes to vent my soul, uh, <laughs> to come over here and tell you how embarrassed I am to be an American family planning provider. Um, and I'm very interested to hear what Ali uh, has to uh, offer, because I'm going to try and take these uh, notes back and try to change things in the States. Thank you. Lee, can we pin you down just a bit more on costs? How much do does a package of the combined pill actually cost in the US? Uh, the out-of-pocket costs, and, and here is another interesting thing, regardless of whether it's a generic or branded, mm -hmm. uh, can cost at times up to 100 US dollars per pack. Tell us then why does make, uh, why don't genetics make a difference? Because in this country, we are just having experience with genetics. Yeah, this is going to make it. I mean, it's actually in my business plan. It will, uh, but generics at most, now here's the, the, the issue, the way generics are uh, done, the way pharmaceutical products are done, it's not just uh, contraceptive pills, uh, there's a process called bundling. And so when a generic house comes to a uh, insurance provider, they're saying, you take all of our drugs, our statins, our antihypertensives, et cetera, which are much larger volume drugs than contraceptive pills. You take all of these and you know, instead of $10 a pill for Zocor, you're gonna pay 35 cents a pill for Zocor. But by the way, the contraceptive pills, instead of that $50 or $100 a pack, it's only gonna be $35 a pack. So there is some, some benefit, uh, but it's, it's out of context. And, and the bundling uh, will save you a lot of money on your anti-asthma, anti-hypertensive, uh, antimicrobials, uh, but it really doesn't save on contraception because we have this real problem in the United States with sex. Uh, we just have a problem talking about it. We have a problem uh, treating it. Uh, we have a problem, you know, except for erectile dysfunction. Uh, and we have a real, and especially with female sexuality in particular, uh, we've already seen three safe, reliable, effective approaches to improving libidinal issues in, in peri and postmenopausal uh, women go by the wayside ostensibly for safety reasons, and yet none of the trials had any safety uh, events uh, that would have led to it. Uh, you know, you folks gave us the Puritans. I know why you kicked them out of England. <laughs> why did you send them to us? <laughs> why okay. did you send them to us? Just adding on to the cost issue, um, you, you say $100 a month, but um, is that the whole cost to the woman? In the sense, because there's also the issue of, you know, does that involve the visit to the doctor or whatever? I mean, what, what does it actually cost a woman to be on the pill, assuming she were paying it for herself? Well, the actual answer is I can't tell you because it really, it can be zero, absolutely zero, no cost at all. 
or it can be completely out of pocket and uh, what we call an o not an over-the-counter availability, but the over-the-counter price. The, the $100 actually uh, comes to my daughter. Um, my daughter ran out of her, and I'll tell you, she's on um, the Yaz product that has the folate. I don't know if you have the folate. No, no, no. So uh, that's, you really need to get that up here, but that's a narrow two-week talk that I'll be happy to come back next year. Um, so she's on BS, which is what it's called, and she was running out, and I couldn't get her samples, and I said, you know, just go, I'll call in a, I'll call in a prescription go to the pharmacy. And I get this call one evening, and she said, Dad, I'm at Walgreens, which is the pharmacy. They want $196. I said, for what? <laughs> and she said, for two packs of pills. I went, um, come home. I mean, you're not paying $196. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she had Well, no, no, she didn't. <laughs> I made a uh, somewhat Herculean effort to get in touch with my buyer representative. And, uh, <laughs> we got her three packs of pills the next day. Um, For those of you who haven't heard of this, the U.S. has this product, which is a combined pill that has folic acid in it, in case people don't take it properly and they might get pregnant. Okay, we're going to move on. Ali is very well known to everybody. He's a consultant at the Guys and St. Thomas's in London. He does not play golf, um, but he does a lot of very good charitable work uh, relating to Iraq. And he's a great speaker, and he's going to give us the UK perspective now. Thank you, Well, Thank you very much, and uh, good afternoon. And my thanks to the faculty for asking me to take part in this. I have this attitude which, uh, you know, when I um, um, moving in life, I think I know everything about everything until someone asks me to do something, and then I say, oh, I don't know anything about it. So, uh, <laughs> so that's where I started from. Um, I, I thought we ought to probably sort of pick up some of the points that Lee uh, uh, made. I think it is all about money and access and cost, really. Um, the example is I work in South London. Uh, we have two boroughs, Lambeth and Southwark. They came together about two years ago, and I've just been looking at the change in the under-18 conception rates and the overall conception abortion rates uh, for looking at 2011. We've just had uh, these figures. And as a matter of fact, if you look, these are sort of boroughs next to each other. They're both in very uh, deprived areas. The people who provide the service are very similar in sort of the community service, uh, uh, very similar in their uh, sort of training. Um, but we have been much better resourced, I think, in uh, uh, Lambeth, which is the bit that I used to manage, rather uh, than Southwark, which is the bit that we took over. And if you look at the 2011 figures, Lambeth has made an absolutely fantastic job. We've had about a 54% drop in under 18 conceptions and a 52% drop in under 18 abortions uh, between 2008-2011. And it must have to do something with the, the fact that we've been better resourced in the community service, but also we've managed to train many more GPs uh, in long-acting reversible So I, I'm technically always in debt, very poor. Uh, I have a lot of millionaire friends. And uh, you know, when I really get sort of upset at how, many, how much money they have, I say, oh, well, money can't buy you happiness. <laughs> and what do they say? They say, get off. You know, of course money can buy you happiness. Yeah? But it can't buy you health. In the NHS, in healthcare, in the stuff we're talking about, money can actually buy you health. And I think that is really very important. Okay, well, I'm going to 
um, carry on to just say that we actually have a lot of similarities um, across the Atlantic in our attitude to the pill. This is the Times Magazine, uh, Time, uh, magazine in uh, 2010. Uh, pill, probably one of the most important inventions in the 20th century. And we, both sides of the Atlantic, have contributed quite a lot to uh, the knowledge and information we have about the pill. If you think of the two very famous, very robust cohort studies that have been going on in this country, the Oxford and the RCGP studies, and if you look at the stuff that James Russell Princeton does in relation to things like um, uh, failure rates and emergency contraception and so on, we complement each other in, in the research area. And we have, I'm going to be using a few images in my slides to sort of highlight uh, similarities and, and differences. For instance, uh, they uh, have, um, you know, cows, we have the black, uh, the black cats and the uh, Spice Girls uh, there. They have uh, Lady Gaga and uh, Madonna. And, uh, we are similar in a number of ways. I'm going to talk uh, to you about um, what do we prescribe. I've done some work, some research on this. Who prescribes and who advises, who pays, something about guidelines. We've just dealt with the research, so we'll, uh, we'll leave that. We've dealt a bit with the impact of the media, and uh, I, I was going to ask Lee about the direct to consumer advertising and the impact of that in this case, because that's one thing that we definitely do not have here. <coughs> My own impression about it is that it probably does not have as much impact as you think it does. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't because really people. Uh, are, are don't have the background to understand the issues, and so it, it's not just contraceptive direct to consumer. It's anti asthma. Uh, there are even some cancer chemotherapeutic agents that are done direct to consumer. Ask your doctor if you need this. Um, so uh, I, I really wish it would go away. I think most physicians are also of the opinion they wish it would go away. Because my impression when I did the research, one thing that I didn't know is that actually the U.S. is still pretty traditional in sort of the mm -hmm. pill, the pill yeah. market sort of right here. Okay, uh, the other things I've discovered is that the U.K. is pill country. We, in, in spite of the fact that we've had um, a number of pill scares, in spite of the fact that we've been pushing definitely since 2007 for like the pill, as, as a matter of fact, has maintained its place in the market technically with just a slight drop, about two, three percent in usage. Um, pill scares, uh, we I'm not going to touch too much about. We are also a progestogen only pill country, and that is one difference I think we have from the States. And I'm going to show you one pretty surprising uh, uh, statistic. Um, and I think we, both sides of the Atlantic, have done well with evidence-based medicine. We have said, you know, in a way, the, 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 we coined the term LARC with the NICE guideline 2007. Uh, we also obviously have a different uh, way where um, women access the uh, service. So this is the UK system. The patient has a gatekeeper, which is primary care, and then they go to secondary care. Community falls somewhere in the uh, in the middle and the we've just had Amanda Britton in the Bayer session downstairs talking about community services seeing something like 20 to 30 percent of people who seek contraception if you look at the returns from community services you'll find that as a matter of fact in 2011 something like 55 percent of the people we see in this year you see if you're doing community uh, clinics um, are new. And I think therefore, though in any given year, 
we have 20 to 30 percent exposure of the population to our services, we actually probably over a period of time have a much greater uh, exposure. We have a much greater penetration of the uh, population that uses uh, contraceptive services and that in my calculation is probably over 50 percent. So though uh, in, in a smaller way, uh, in a time uh, confined way, we um, uh, see a smaller number percentage, uh, a lot of people would have been exposed to our service. And of course, we're going through this absolutely phenomenal, what I call the health and social care Armageddon. Uh, and this just explains what is going on in the uh, National Health Service uh, from the 1st of <laughs> April with uh, total fragmentation of uh, uh, the Commission of Care. I, I take it back, we have a better system. Uh, <laughs> at, least you, at least you know where you are. <laughs> and if we look at uh, sexual health services, uh, commissioning contraception, we, as you know, we now uh, fall under the local authorities, SRF services, the, Local and uh, uh, other enhanced services will also fall under the local authorities. The community SPI services do, but HIV uh, is otherwise. And abortion and sterilization services are commissioned differently. And there is this worry that there would be sort of people who would be lost in between these different uh, systems. Okay, I'm going to now show you a few slides from a study that, I, that was published just two months ago. Just by luck, I managed to find it. Um, by the way, actually I've forgotten something because uh, when my slides were cut, my title slide was also cut, uh, I must acknowledge the fact that one of my associate specialists, Dr. Iftikhar Begum, did help me with finding a lot of the stuff on this and I put, I promised that I'll put her name on the presentation slide. So because it, uh, there was no space for it, I'm just mentioning it now. This wasn't one of the things she found for me, but this is an interesting exercise. The um, my um, screenshots are not as good, but this was a survey done in 2010, I think, uh, 2011, of, 5, 000, uh, of 2,500 women, 500 in each group in four countries. The four countries just happened to be uh, two Northern European, two Southern European, and the USA. Uh, published in February in Reproductive Health, so you can see uh, the um, uh, the uh, breakdown, there are about 500 in each group. You can see the average number of children. This woman will never make that great because if you look at the uh, Spanish and the Italians, if they carry on the way they are with a fertility rate of 0.98, they'll disappear uh, <laughs> uh, within, within our lifetime. But you can see how similar the UK and the US are, at least in this. Remember, the data we have, it depends on the data source and, you know, I'm going to show stuff that will probably slightly sort of uh, change the picture as far as the usage in the UK. Um, forget about sort of uh, uh, reading too much into this. This is the, from the study, people were asked in the five countries, what is their awareness of contraception? So they said, you know, what do you know about contraception? Um, though it is very complicated, each uh, sort of segment, the top is the US and the bottom is the UK. So you can see that awareness of the contraceptive pill is similar, but if you uh, drill down on uh, sterilization, you see that uh, more of Amer Americans are aware of sterilization than they are here. If you look at the Nuvering, which is the third from the bottom, you can see the top versus the tiny, tiny, tiny bit in the bottom, 
which is the UK. And I think this is one trick we are missing, with the fact that we uh, have not really uh, caught up with, with the advantages of the new government. Um, this is another uh, slide from the same uh, study, and it asks uh, the woman about the sources of contraceptive advice, and that is where we have a difference. You'll see that in the top where it says GP primary care physician, 46 UK, 9% of the US. So this essentially tells you where people get advice. Well, if you look at the second line, 50% of the US women were talking about uh, were, were having their advice from their gynecologists. The interesting one is two down, which is the pharmacist. And though we have been, and I've been talking to John Gilbert, who said, you know, you must mention over-the-counter oral contraception. I think though there are a lot of schemes of over-the-counter contraception, emergency contraception, my feeling, and this is something that when we did the work that Kirsten Black did when she was working with us on pharmacy provision, is that people see pharmacists as a retail outlet. So the way you buy your shampoo, you get go to the pharmacy and say, this is the pill I take, or this is the pill I take, or I need emergency contraception. They don't see the pharmacy as a source for advice. And indeed, I think one of the oral presentations yesterday about pharmacy confirmed um, uh, that uh, picture as well. It's definitely our understanding. We have an oral contraception over-the-counter scheme in South London where the pharmacists are told to mention long-acting reversible contraceptives. And I know when we did the qualitative work that was published uh, in the journal re recently, I think something like 5% were referred for a large, for a large matter. Um, this uh, talks about satisfaction with methods, but the more important one is the lower section, which is satisfaction with the or side effects with the pill, and you can see that the breakdown of side effects is actually very uh, similar. I, uh, the one difference is 22% of UK users cite uh, uh, migraine as a side effect versus 14. And I guess that must be an issue around definition or an issue around awareness. Like whiplash injury is very, 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 very common. Every time anybody has, who has a little bump in the car will go around and say, I've had a whiplash. If you go to countries where whiplash is not an entity, no one. You know, you get sort of, you know, smashed and the car turns three times and you come out and you say, my neck is all right. So it is very much uh, an awareness thing. And also looking at the difference in things like irritability, and they seem to be slightly higher in the States because I'm told that something, and you have to correct me, something like 10% of women are on SSRIs or something to that effect. There is much higher use of... Yeah, especially, uh, especially as you have the perimenopausal. Yeah, uh, mood, mood sort of changing uh, medications. Okay, so we are similar in a lot of ways, but we need to sort of understand other things. Um, this is a, uh, the pill use in Europe essentially shows you that the UK uh, does well, it just justifies the title of pill country, I'm not going to spend time on it. This is a terrible slide, but it's the only way I could, I could uh, uh, do it. It's the UN wall chart on methods. This is uh, 2009 for the UK, 2008 for the US. These are the UNFPA figures. The United States is the, uh, I don't know whether you can uh, read this well, uh, because the screenshot isn't very good, is the very lower 
uh, column. And you can see that obviously there are lots of women in the States. Um, uh, Lee mentioned, I think, 50,000 women in the at risk of pregnancy, and this is talking about uh, something like 38. Um, but you could see that, as a matter of fact, the UK, and the UK is in Northern Europe, it's at the bottom of the second section. Um, we, we have a higher sort of uptake of contraception across the board except for sterilization. We have higher life, we definitely have higher condom uh, use, and uh, we do ha have higher percentage-wise. Of course, in absolute numbers, the US is much bigger. Uh, uh, there are more women in absolute numbers taking the pill in the US. But if uh, you can get it uh, on the WHO website, uh, to make interesting reading. Who pays? We talked about cost. Well, contraception is free in this country. It's free in the sense that we can provide a certain range of contraceptives. I think it does slightly affect the choice of women uh, in, in that uh, some of the newer, more expensive contraceptives and oral contraceptives may not figure on the formulas. And I think that probably is one of the reasons why the new ring hasn't taken uh, off uh, as well. Um, this is the Department of Health um, stuff, uh, looking at 2011-2012. Um, there's, by the way, an increase in the attendance in community clinics. And in community clinics, whether that represents the whole of the population, difficult to say, 45% of the, those women had oral conception as their primary concern. You can see that over the uh, age groups, I was surprised that even for the over 35s, one third of those taking uh, the pill, uh, one third of the over 35s were taking the pill. Gives you an idea about blood, 28% up from 18, and this is the division. Um, I thought this is important. I worked very hard to get these. This is the IMS data. This is the data you have to pay for. So I actually sort of really, really was very nice to one of the pharma people and they got me the figures. How does that resonate with you? Microgranin is the top pill. I was surprised that Terazet is the second most and I think we is, don't have it. And you don't have it. And I think the issue about Sarazet, it shows that as a matter of fact, um, you know, the way we prescribe, we have the safety of the product at our uh, uh, being important. Sarazet sort of combines safety, efficacy, and I think a lot of people are using it for it perceived non contraceptive benefits. You say, I'm going to give this woman the pill. If she gets amenorrhea, they have a 50% chance at the end of the first year to be amenorrheic. Then I've won. You know, she has no problem with her periods or with her PMS or with whatever. She gets good contraception. And women like it. I was talking to someone who is in the room um, here uh, the other day about Sarah and said, you know, uh, Simone, is Simone here? Yeah, okay. So, and she was saying, of course, I, you know, if, if you, young people like it because it gives them amenorrhea and works well. I was also surprised that Yasmin, which is actually not on many of our formulas, is, as a matter of fact, the third most popular product in the UK. This is in units. This is not in value, because Yasmin is obviously more expensive. Also, the fact that Depo Provera has maintained its, its place, which is quite, quite interesting. And is, is this GP prescription? This is total. This is the uh, wholesalers. 
And the people who do the, who look at IMS wholesalers very much sort of concord with the PCT. Uh, so it's, it's essentially technically everybody, really. Um, so it's interesting that therefore, and I'm talking to the Pfizer people, I hear that they will uh, very soon getting the subcutaneous so, depot, isn't that So we um, have some more excitement in, in uh, the cup. Okay, I've talked about the POP, I'm not going to spend uh, time about it. We've talked about the promotion of luck. I think the point about the choice product is it has by its name, you have to coach this, uh, your approach to women's uh, sort of uh, choices in a very much sort of you decide. And my feeling is that there is a cohort of women who prefer long-acting reversible contraceptives, and we would be not doing the right thing by uh, getting women who may be very good at taking the pill to actually shift to something that they don't like. The slide that Lee showed us, which is, if a woman comes with a method, comes wanting a banana and gets out, goes out with an orange, uh, she probably will not uh, pers persevere with it. So that, I think, is important. Um, this is uh, Jeffrey Piper. This is the, um, uh, the Choice Project. And um, you can see that uh, something like 11% uh, of the women did choose the uh, oral contraceptive. Uh, the numbering is figuring there, but uh, it's just, really just to contrast what's happening. This is uh, what will happen if you take cost out of the, uh, and it's an example of, so this is the NHS in uh, Missouri. Is it Missouri? Missouri. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have, uh, we both uh, uh, countries have uh, very similar sources of information for professionals and I'm very impressed with the ACOG, the medical eligibility criteria. They have a section on bariatric surgery. They, we both, both our, ours and theirs, are slightly more flexible than the WHO, but both have certain things that we don't agree with. You, systemic lupus, you know, the Hughes syndrome, antiphospholipid syndrome. The, the progesterone-only methods being three or four doesn't really make sense. We have, the Hughes syndrome is, was coined uh, in at Guys and Thomas's. We use progesterone-only methods for our antiphospholipid uh, people like anything. Um, film scares, they have an impact. The 1995 film scare probably generated 30,000 extra implant pregnancies. I think one of the things we need to work on together and uh, Lee, Lee, Lee alluded, alluded to it is uh, the challenge of obesity. I think we're heading that way. And you know, um, you can see that it, uh, we have uh, contraceptive, reproductive health, uh, pregnancy dilemmas, and we need to probably be working together uh, on, on that. And of course, you know, we have Bojo, they have Ani, uh, we're not really terribly uh, different. Um, do you read Time Out? Does anyone read Time Out? Time Out did New York, New York, London. Have you seen yes. the New York, London bit? Which is really, really funny. They're saying that, you know, what you do in the summer, you take your pens and go to Hyde Park. I just realized Central Park, you can only have coffee. You can't have alcohol in Central Park. No. Did you know that? It's amazing, <laughs> <laughs> which is, I don't know, six miles wide or something. You can't have alcohol. They are saying, you know, we have streets with names, you know, Cummings Way, 
cock's head or whatever <laughs> when, when, when you have sort of, you know, 44th at, at uh, uh, whatever. Uh, we, we have a much more colorful um, life. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, things that we need to maybe think about and talk about uh, further annual checkups, which uh, happen in, in, in the US, don't happen with us. Uh, the fact that there is more extended use usage, more EV versions, more generics, direct to consumer advertising. The issue on the failure rates we've already resolved. And of course, the states is a sort of a state by state uh, affair, isn't it? So, in a way, you, you're not comparing like with like. I mean, we talked about obesity. Um, UK sort of emerging trends, I don't know what they're emerging, but you know that in 2011, for the first time, uh, more 15 year olds chose the pill than they chose condoms. The pill has just gone uh, top of condoms for 15 year olds. So, that may be a sort of an uh, indicator for the future. The limited form rate we've talked about, the fact that we don't do as much research as, you know, Piper and Co. and, and others. Um, and um, uh, the fact that there is a scope for much more collaboration. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Ali. So we can now open the debate to the floor, but I'm chairman, so I can ask the first question. So we can come a bit on BMI. And in the US, in your, your US uh, MEC MEC, uh, it's, you, can, you see US MEC 2 for all BMIs, whereas here we're 3 for 30, BMI 35 and over. So do you really give the combined pill to women BMI 40 plus? No. no. Uh, I think, I think in that situation, we look more uh, at the ACOG guide, or uh, those clinicians who had more than a modicum of understanding um, will look to the ACOG guidelines and, and take a BMI of 35 as the uh, as where no longer should you be using at least a pill. Uh, I would also throw the ring into that group as well because it's an even lower delivered dose uh, of sex steroid. Uh, for me, it's, it's rather simple. If you have a morbidly obese woman and she wants to, needs to uh, prevent pregnancy, uh, you really have two options that are not weight related, and that's intrauterine methods and Depo-Provera. Both of those have shown uh, no impact of maternal weight on their effectiveness. Uh, everything else, in, including the implant, uh, has potential with regard to serum levels and ovulation inhibition. Perhaps the implant less so because it's a progestin-only method and you have local effects. Uh, but uh, for me, I'm going to be looking at an intrauterine method or depot for that one. James Chussell might not agree with you, but she won't be. Okay. Any questions? Hi. Um, this is a question for Ellie here. Where are you there? Okay. Because okay. so you said that we love the uh, evidence-based medicines. Why UK in contraceptive fields we are lack of proper research? So that's a question for you. Well, I did allude to the fact that we are a research wasteland. Um, I, I think the difficulty is that um, if you look at community activists from my own perspective, uh, a lot of conception happens in, uh, happens in general practice. Job practice are very busy with a lot of other things. Conception is not high uh, in their priority, and definitely research is not sort of something that is done quite easily. If you look at community services, we're just chasing our tails all the time. 
and I, mean, I have some of my team here, and um, you know, I, I sort of go living in my glass uh, sort of house or whatever, and go and say, we ought to do research. It's a God way. You know, we're, we're trying to sort of just uh, deal with the, the hundreds of people, the flash mobs that show up at our clinic. <laughs> uh, you know, about half an hour before they open. I think that is one reason. I think the um, uh, there isn't a lot of money around in this country. The U.S. compared to the U.S., they have a, you know as a base, they have a much much much. You know, we've got forty thousand. Um, if you notice the UN, I've got it here, so you're looking at 40,000 at least women who are at risk of pregnancy versus uh, 48 million versus 8 million in the UK. So I think that the sort of research base is also a bit smaller. Okay. But I'm happy with these, I mean, I'm not a scientist, so uh, it's one of one day. I hope you're the keen trainees and the keen section of productive health are going to pick up that number. Maybe they do, yeah. 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 Okay. Anybody who wants to do research, come and talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or come, come to Edinburgh. Edinburgh still has a Come to because we want to be at Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's the whole It's a question for Lee. Um, given that a lot of the contraceptive non-use in the States has to be cultural, doesn't it? Do you have anything you can say about different states and different parts of the country? Well, if you're familiar at all with the states, um, the South, um, which you all supported in the Civil War, and we haven't forgotten that, um, the South is a very different country. Now, I know you could say the same thing about Wales, um, uh, but this is culturally a different country, language-wise a different country, religion-wise a different country, uh, and clearly when it comes to sex and contraception and abortion, a very different uh, part of the United States. However, if you want to simplify the states, uh, you, you can do that. You've got the right coast and the left coast, uh, which are for the most part liberal in what you would call labor or Democrat. And the rest of the country is far more conservative uh, with less family planning, etc. cetera. Um, there is still this very bizarre concept, especially in the middle part of the country, that parents really don't talk to their kids about sex and are shocked when they come back sexually active, STDs, uh, STIs, and pregnant. And how did we fail? Uh, did you talk to them? No. We assume that they knew that, etc. So we're looking at, at, at still this, you know, again, I can, we, can, we blame the Puritans for our, our difficulties in talking about sex and sexuality, uh, but it clearly goes well beyond that. We just have, you know, we look at places like Scandinavia, uh, and people like myself look at there and, and think it's, in some ways, it's like Shangri-La, where there's open discussion, there's pornography on, on uh, on the public uh, stations, sex and sexuality are not uh, are, are normal uh, in these countries. They still have unintended pregnancy, but um, that's not going to happen in the United States in the foreseeable future. There may be some improvement, but it really still is a problem with discussing sex and sexuality. I, I was I, I was telling somebody I, I got a call when my son my son's twenty six. Uh, he was about seven or eight years old, and I got a call from his teacher, 
uh, we have a problem with anger, which uh, I've gotten that call several times about other issues. Um, what's the problem? Well, he was in class today and he used the word vagina. And I said, my question was, did he use it in the correct context? And there was silence on the phone because I'm not sure the teacher understood what the correct context was. And so ultimately, they, she said yes, and I said, well, uh, we talk about uh, vagina and penises. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, and uh, my daughter has a vagina, my son has a penis. What, what's the problem? I said, I'll talk to him to let him know that most people may not find those words palatable in common usage. Uh, I said, but I just don't see the problem. Uh, but that is the problem, and there in and of itself.